Anyway, have you guys gotten the new book? If you don't, go grab one. I mean, not now, but I mean, sometime today, grab one. We have, always have a bunch of these laying around. I mean, I want, I want us to be out of them. If you say, oh, I like the PDF. I like reading my own Bible. Fine. That would be great. But maybe grab one. This would be a good, you know, outreach tool. People say, oh, wow, look at that nice, glossy finish. Look how pretty that is. What is it? Was that a tomb? Well, let me tell you about the tomb. It's open. You know why? Because we serve a Christ that was res- died and was resurrected. Woo! All right. Sorry, I'm a little excited. There will be some passion today. All right? And it's not coffee this time, so it's really cool. All right, so use the books, get them. I, mean, I love it. Barb did a really good one. We, we had, we're used a new company. And uh, they came back, they're all, they were coated and covered, and Barb did a beautiful thing. Anyway, so these are great to read. We start this week reading Luke 1. Okay, so my job today, my goal today, other than having you look at me weird, like, is he ever going to do a sermon? I'm doing it now. My goal, I'm telling you right now, what I want you to do is get you excited about reading Luke Acts. Okay, and there's a little disclaimer. When I say Luke Acts, it's not one word, Luke Acts. It's Luke forward slash, what's well, backslash, forward slash acts. But it should be one word. This is what I'm telling you. Luke acts, Luke acts, Luke acts, Luke acts, one word, Luke acts, Luke acts. Because Luke and acts belong together. Now, I'm not questioning the faith of our church fathers thousands of years ago. But when they did the they grouped the Gospels together. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts in the continuation of the history. But Luke and Acts belong together. And you, if you read it together as a one story, it will change your view of Luke and of Acts. Let me give you an example of this. Now, today when in worship... We read, uh, we sang, not, we didn't read in worship, we sang in worship, Come Thou Font. But we didn't sing it the way most of us have learned it. And at first, I'm not going to lie, it kind of bugged me. Because I'm trying to sing, and come to, uh, I'm trying to sing it the old way, and we get the new way. But as I was looking at it, it made me concentrate on the lyrics. And it made me look and wait. Is giving a little pause in between areas to kind of reflect on what I just sung. And I'm, wow, it's giving me a whole new meaning. This is exactly what's going to happen with Luke Acts today. Or, wait, as you read this for the rest of the year, you're going to be in the New Testament. You've been like in the Old Testament forever. Now you're going to be in the New Testament. And it's going to be history we love history and it's going to be gospel and it's going to be gospel and we're going to talk about the church and all of that wrapped up to one from october to december man i'm excited about this can you tell this is good stuff so here's how i'm going to try to get you excited about this okay i've already told you that this is a two volume set of the same story how do I know that? Well, let's look at some things. Luke 1, 1 through 4. This is the first four verses 
in the Gospel of Luke. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. This is the introduction to, to Luke. He's, he's telling you, he's t- first of all, this is written to a specific person. And why do I know that? Because many people have said, well, Theophilus means lover of God or God lover. So that could definitely be mean for people who are interested in God. And it's not just meant for one person maybe, but it's most excellent Theophilus. This means, this is a specific person and probably someone in authority in some way. And where would would Luke have met someone in authority? Well, if we look at the side here, we don't know exactly when Luke wrote it, but we do know some certain marks where we know he he was very thorough. So we know he didn't read it, he didn't write it in 70 A.D., because in 70 AD, that's when the temple was destroyed. Okay? And then Paul is still alive in this narrative when we get all the way to Acts. Okay? Because it's Luke Acts. It's not Luke and then Acts. It's Luke Acts. Okay? We know that it was probably written one right after another very, very soon. And Nero, we think, killed Paul. Paul's still alive in Acts. Okay? And so we think it's somewhere... And he's still in his first imprisonment in Rome at the end of the book of Acts. Starting with Luke, going to Acts. So somewhere between 60 and 62 AD. Okay? So, that being said, where was Luke? Luke was with Paul during his first imprisonment. He's in Rome. And it says that there were some people, if you look at the epistles, from the household of Caesar... That came to faith. This could be who Theophilus is. Or it could be a name that nobody, they just, he just called him, maybe they made that name, and just for his protection, called him something else. I don't know, but it's the most excellent Theophilus. In the first book, Luke. In the second book, or the second letter, it's just Theophilus. Hey, when I first meet somebody, I usually try to address them with some sort of Honor, Mr. Sean Dickman, how are you? Nice to meet you. And after I get to know him, hey, Sean, how's it going, buddy? You can see that transition from one to two. Okay? Now, let's read the very first uh, verse, uh, verses of Acts. Acts 1, 1 through 3. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So in both introductions to both books, it's clearly written by the same author. Okay? 
and it's written to the same person or persons known as Theophilus. So linked together, this is one complete story that looks like it was the, the gospel was written and given to Theophilus, and it continued on, and it was given Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Okay, now both of those, there's never a name that it was Luke. Okay, we don't know that Luke wrote Luke. We have no proof that Luke wrote proof other than some internal evidence and some external evidence. The internal evidence is Luke when he is described with, the, with Paul in many of the other letters and stuff. He's known as the physician and he attends with Paul in certain parts of Acts. And how we know that he was there is because it goes from the third person to the first person. It goes to the we passages. So you have Paul running around Asia Minor going crazy in Acts. And then all of a sudden he, he's getting ready to go into Europe. And then he gets stopped by the Holy Spirit. And, and he gets this vision to go to Macedonia. Because the man at Macedonia and this vision is telling him, come, come to me, come to us. He goes, okay, I guess we'll go to Macedonia. And it goes from Paul's going to we go. Somewhere along there, Luke is with him. And the first place he goes, they go into Philippi. Okay? So you'll see this when you're reading in the Acts. Like, oh, it went from, yeah, Paul's doing this, Paul and this. Oh, we are doing this. This is a grammatical shift showing that as Luke did the, the looking of the eyewitness accounts and met with people and did the thorough research in the book of Luke, to find out about things and to, to know what really happened and to address all of that anymore. He doesn't have to do it because he was part of it. He was there. He knows what happened. He saw the miracles. He saw the jailer, the, the chains fall off the jail, and he go, I'm going to kill myself because they all are going to escape. And then Paul's like, no, 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 we're all here. He was there. So, it's exciting to see that mix because Luke is trying to be very correct in his testimony as well as his, what he got from other people and in his research. And he's telling Theophilus, you can count on it. I've done the research. I've looked it up. None of this is hearsay. Okay? And then he talks about there are, many, there are many people around, and they're still alive. So if you have any problems with, the, with my writing this, ask them. Ask them. I'm not lying. So, by, by all accounts, we believe that the physician Luke was a Gentile. And you think, okay. I think in, in a couple ways that should encourage you. Because for the most part, we're Gentiles. Okay? We're not all doctors, but most of us are Gentiles. Unless you grew up ethnically a Jew. But that's important to know because with the exception of Nebuchadnezzar in his writing in Daniel, Luke is the only Gentile writer in all of the scriptures. And if you think about it, the New Testament, 28% of the New Testament is Luke and Acts together. They're the longer books. 
So, from October to December this, this year, you are going to be reading a quarter of the New Testament. Boom. Check that off your list. All right. We're doing great. Okay. So, let's look at some of the, um, the reason why that there's unity, why there's important that we look at Luke and Acts together. How many have read Luke and Acts directly, straight through, ever before? Well, actually, there's more than I thought there would be. The rest of you, you're going to go, you're going to love it, okay? So let's look at it. First of all, geography. This is a unity between Luke, the Gospel of, and Acts of the Apostles, the two volumes. Okay, Luke and Acts is strongly Jerusalem-centered narrative. The 12 central chapters of the combined work sit right in Jerusalem. Jesus arrives at Jerusalem with the triumphal entry in Luke chapter 19. And the story doesn't leave Jerusalem until the stoning of Stephen in Acts 7. In Luke's narrative, Jerusalem is the center and the joining of the two. Compare the Gospel of Mark where the disciples are commanded to meet the risen Jesus in Galilee. Right? Or at the end of Matthew, the 11 disciples do indeed make the journey to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designed, had designated. And it was from there that Jesus issued the Great Commission. Okay? John's Gospel presents a similar picture when we... Jesus, the disciples are out in the boat in Galilee, and then some guy on the beach tells them to switch their nets, and he goes, oh, it's Jesus, and Peter swims, and he gets restored. That's all up north. But in the narrative of Luke, he leaves that out. Jerusalem is the center. He's not lying, but he's just making that as the emphasis See, one of the things that you need to, to understand is that each of the gospel writers that we have, we have gone through and that we're going through are geared toward different people, okay? Matthew, clearly, it's for the Jew. He's trying to tell them, Jesus is the Messiah, okay? John is like, dude, everybody, with all this what's going on, This needs to be, you need to know that Jesus is the Son of God, and he has the power. And then Mark is like, he's talking about people who are being um, persecuted for their faith, and everything is running around, going crazy. That's why in Mark it was immediately, immediately, immediately. Well, Luke is clearly just saying, this is for Gentiles. This is for people who not grown up and have the promise of being God's people. How can I get in? How can I, how can I be a follower of this Yahweh? This God lover, as the case may be. Okay? So, he's, he's, he's shaping it to know that Jerusalem is the key. Okay? And this is how I know this. I'll prove it to you. You're going to love this. Okay? So, for Luke, Jerusalem is the city of destiny. He refers to it far more often than any other writer in the New Testament. In fact, 90 
93 times of the 131 times Jerusalem is mentioned in the New Testament. For, for Luke, the major redemptive historical events occur in Jerusalem. It was there that Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. It was near Jerusalem that he ascended Pentecost. Also took people, places and took place. Pentecost also took place in Jerusalem. For Luke, Jerusalem is the focus and the pivot and the turning point of the whole story. If you have Luke and Acts together, Jerusalem, they go to Jerusalem and they launch out from there. So the wider story of Luke Acts can be referred to some authors have said like an hourglass. So it draws to Jerusalem and then goes out. Okay? So, and there are volumes that have been written by this, but let me just give you one example. Luke, okay, Luke, Luke 1, verses 5 through 10. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth had not, was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on, the, was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of his priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So after his introduction to Theophilus, so this is what I'm doing, does he start with Jesus? No, he doesn't. He starts with Zechariah and Elizabeth who were childless, and Zechariah is serving where? In the temple. And then we hear we the whole story of John the Baptist. We get it as a Christmas all the time. It's promising this child, these couple that have been childless and barren, all of a sudden in their old age they have a child. Then we go to the very end of Luke. So at the very beginning of Luke, we have the temple. I mean the first part is Zechariah, and he's in the temple. Then we go to the very last verses. Of Luke, which is 2450, starting. He says, When he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands, talking about Jesus, and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, 53. And they stayed continually at the temple. Praising God. So in the book of Luke, it starts in the temple and it ends in the temple. Jerusalem, it's still there. What happened, what went on with that is where God met man, it's the temple. And that's significant in Luke's thing that you can meet God. And the temple's the first place to be. Okay? So let's look at the first part of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, it says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the, f- the Father has set by his own authority. 
And we love this passage, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Luke, volume 1, starts and finishes up, and Jesus is talking to his disciples, said, stay in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes. Then you have the transition, volume 2, he says, stay in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So he's getting them ready. And one of the things that he says, you will have power and you will go beyond Jerusalem, into Judea, into Samaria, and to the other parts of the world. Why is that significant? Well, let's look at the end of Acts 28, 28 through 30. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's the end of Acts. The end of Acts is the completion of Jesus' prophecy that you will go out of from Jerusalem, into Judea, into Samaria, to the other parts of the world. That prophecy has been fulfilled because Paul, who is the, the, the uh, apostle to the Gentiles, is now in Rome speaking to everybody. And guess what? You heard that the, all roads lead to Rome? Well, guess what? All roads lead out of Rome, too. And that's where Christians go. And that's why it's spread out. Because it went to Rome. Huh. Luke just completed it in two volumes. The whole story of Jesus coming to this earth, being God and man, introducing himself, teaching people about who God was, And what he was doing as the Messiah. Planned it out. Sent the twelve or the hundred and fifty. If you think about the disciples in the room. In the upper room. Who were with the Holy Spirit. And then they went out into the world. Why do we have a church today? And Luke covered it all. And that's exciting to look at. So let's just look at a couple passages here. Where are we at? Okay we're doing great. So, thematically, Luke and Acts can be combined together. They, they just, there are a couple of themes I want to point out to you that are, you find in Luke and you find in Acts. Okay? First one is the unbelieving Jews are the greatest threat to a Christian or to Jesus. In Luke, it's Jesus' ministry. You have unbelieving Jews. You have the Pharisees. You have the Sadducees. You have the leaderships. So you have people who say, you cannot be Messiah. And they are the ones that are the most dangerous to Jesus. And in the same way, when you get into Acts, the most dangerous ones to the Christians, the disciples, the apostles, are the unbelieving Jews who insist that Jesus is not the Messiah and therefore we can kill you. And they, they strive up many people. We see this in Peter. We see this in Paul. They, 
they want to knock them off because they are saying stuff that the unbelieving Jews, they're the ones that are precipitating the killing of the Christians. In fact, the craziest story is the fact you have this guy who's just zealous for God who knows that Jesus could never be the Messiah, or not his Messiah by any stretch of the imagination. Therefore, he can go and condemn the Christians, and he can put them in jail, and he can do whatever he wants with them, and then, God, and then Jesus meets them in the road to Damascus. Boom! And he turns from Saul to Paul, and he becomes the greatest advancer to the Gentiles. Woo! That's good stuff. Also, so you see that um, the triumphal entry in Luke is not a triumphal entry for Jesus when it comes to Luke. I mean, all four, we'll talk about the triumphal entry, all four Gospels, but in Luke's, you have Jesus lamenting over those that don't believe. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I'd love to cuddle you up like a chicken with his hands or a hen with the chickens, but you will not receive them. You kill the prophets, you kill everything. You will not receive who I am. That's Luke's message in the triumphal entry. Because they're missing it. And then there's the woes in Luke 11. And who is Jesus woeing? The established leaders in the faith who were not doing what was right. The lost coin, the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, all found in Luke. And that's all bent toward those that as Jews are missing it. And Paul and the other disciples, the biggest threat is from the Jews who don't believe. They strive up everything and they change it. So, another theme that I want you to see as you're reading Luke Acts is this. The theme of ministry reaching out to the marginalized. Blame the poor, the tax collectors, and the sinners. That You'll see that in Luke, and you'll see that. But one of the early parts of Jesus' ministry, he says this, Luke four sixteen through 20. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the, for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He said, today, in the day of your hearing, this has been fulfilled. But Luke is laying out what Jesus, his programmatic statement, this is what I'm here for, this is what I'm doing, to help the captives, to set them free, to help those that are hurting, that are that's his message. And when Paul and Peter go and they are resisted by the Jews, they end up going to those who were considered sinners, those who were not of the Jewish faith, and it, they were responded to. 
Peter with the centurion and his family. Paul all over Asia, Asia Minor, Europe. He's all over the place. So theologically, and did you hear this? He's, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Holy Spirit. That you find that in Luke. And then the Holy Spirit is all over Acts. We have you know, the coming on in Pentecost. And you have all the, ki- all, the, all the disciples getting the Holy Spirit. And speaking in tongues. And everybody's like, oh, they're drunk. No, they're not. They've been covered by the Holy Spirit. And they begin to speak in different tongues. People are hearing. People from all over the world are hearing it. And that is God launching them out into their all areas of the world. The day of Pentecost is the anointing. What, did, you, did you hear in the first part of Luke when they had Jesus quotes, I'm about ready to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, baptize you with fire. He's actually quoting John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist, when he said, hey, I baptize you with water, but one coming soon will baptize you with fire. You know, I always wondered why when John the Baptist was put in prison and he reached out to Jesus and said, are you the one or should there be someone else? I don't think that John was particularly unfaithful. But I, and I, obviously there were miracles going on. But for John, who was baptizing with fire? How come Jesus wasn't baptizing with them with fire yet? He was struggling with because what he assumed was going to happen, it did happen, but it happened later. And so Jesus tells them, hey, stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then how do they know the Holy Spirit's on? They see as tongues of fire on their heads. What? I mean, that's just the fulfillment of another prophecy. Other two things. The Great Commission. The Great Commission, Jesus talks so often in, in Luke, you'll see why I'm here, why I'm here, why I'm here. And then in Acts for the disciples, why you're here, why you're here, why you're here. And both of them are that so that you can make God known to others. So that you can share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see that both in Luke and you see it in Acts. And then the last one is miracles. In Luke, you see Jesus. Luke is just crazy about the miracles from a physician's point of view, about the different things, that have the, way God, the way Jesus did things. And then in Acts, you see not Jesus, but his followers performing miracles. What? Yeah, it's not just Jesus. Jesus said, you know what? You'll do what I did and greater. And so we see a good example of this is, you know, Jesus rises up the, the girl who was dead. They say, oh, she's dead. And I know she's just sleeping. They all laughed at him and then he raised her from the dead. Oh, my gosh. And then in Acts, we have Peter going to Dorcas and she's dead. And he says, well, her, well in, in the Aramaic, it's uh, Tabitha. In Greek, it's Dorcas, but Tabitha. In Jesus, in Luke, says, Talitha kum, meaning child, rise up. In Acts, Peter says, Tabitha kum, Tabitha come. 
So, boom! I mean, can you see the relation of what's going on? Oh, all this is good stuff. You've got so much to read. You've got some exciting stuff. But look for these themes. Look for the, 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 the combination of the Luke and Acts. Start thinking about it. Most of you have read Acts. Good Lord, we did like three years of sermons with Acts. So, a lot of it's coming to your mind, but think about that when you're reading the book of Luke. And then when you're reading the book of Acts, oh, look at that, back to what Luke has done. It will do amazing things for you. And it will help you to see just a little different how God is working. And not only in the first century, but in the 21st century with his church. It will encourage you. And I, I want you to be a part of this. So make sure that you get a book. Make sure that you stay on the reading. And um, Jeremy, are you preaching next Sunday? He'll get the first, what, seven chapters? Anyway, this will be good stuff. So I want to encourage you to read it. If you don't have a book, get a book. If you, if you just insist on a PDF, get a PDF. But get it done. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, I thank you and praise you for who you are. You are amazing. You've given us so much. And you just continue to give. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do. Lord God, I pray for a special blessing on this congregation this week. Lord, I pray that um, your name will be made great by our actions and our relationships as we point people to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.